Oh, good morning, everybody. Um, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation, and today we're up to Revelation chapter 6. And I'm actually going to take chapter 6 and chapter 7 and into the start of chapter 8 today. And it might sound like a big chunk, but if we, if we just ended on chapter 6, uh, we're going to be left with a whole heap of judgment and a whole lot of awful stuff, uh, and we're not going to catch the glimpse of what God is really doing through all of this, and that's why we're taking it this far. So far in the book of Revelation, um, we've been covering some of the stuff that often gets covered in churches. Um, the, what people often preach on is towards the start of Revelation, where Jesus has the seven letters to the seven churches, and people will often preach on the end of the Revelation when Jesus returns, but we're actually getting into some of the tough stuff now, and... Um, it might be stuff that you've never heard preached on before, um, but we're told at the start of the Revelation that we will be blessed by reading it and we'll be blessed by hearing it being read. And so I believe that today's reading will be a blessing for us today. Righto. Revelation chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name with death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, 
and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I looked, and the seven angels who stand before God and, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints 
on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. In the introduction I gave as we began our series on the book of Revelation, we talked about some of the various ways that the book of Revelation gets interpreted. Uh, And I gave four different ways. Two of those ways are the historicist view and the futurist view. The historicist believes that the book of Revelation charts history from Jesus' first coming through until his second coming. The futurist looks forward to the future. The futurist believes that it charts predominantly what happens at the end of history. And some of you may have felt a little bit let down at the time when I said, I actually believe there's elements of truth to all four of the main ways of interpreting the revelation. But I also said, you'll probably find as we work our way through this that, you'll, that I actually lean towards a more futurist view. So, a chapters six and seven that we just read now describing to us events that have already happened and are already happening in the world, or are they describing future events that will unfold in God's final judgment at the end of history? And once again, um, I may probably disappoint you by telling you that I believe it's both. Uh, And let me explain that. We're now getting into the section of Revelation that many people don't like to read. Some find it too gruesome, too horrific, too terrifying to believe that this could possibly be God's will or his plan of history, and it doesn't fit at all with their view of Jesus and his love. And yet, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, Jesus said pretty much exactly the same thing about the signs of the end of the age as what we just read. And if we take a look at at Matthew chapter 24, it helps us to understand when these will occur. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about wars and rumours of wars. He talks about nations rising up against nations. He talks about famines and earthquakes. And he tells us, that these are signs of the end. They are the beginnings of birth pains. But he also says, but don't be afraid because they're not the end. Right? So they are like the end, but they are not the end. And I suspect that's why we often have trouble deciding whether this is something which is happening in the past and in the present or whether it's something that's going to happen in the future because these things are happening now. It is like the end now. And we are yet, but we are yet to see a major worldwide expression of these things that will herald the final end. And I'll explain that a bit more as we unpack the seven seals. In chapter 5, we are in the throne room of heaven and there was a scroll there containing God's plan for history. But this scroll is sealed with seven seals. 
And in chapter 5, we discover that the only one who is worthy to break these seals, to both reveal God's plan and to set God's plan into motion, is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The breaking of the seals allow the scroll to be opened to reveal the whole of God's plan and to set it into motion. And it almost seems to me that in this section of Revelation that we just read, as Jesus breaks these seven seals, we are given something like a table of contents uh, of what is going to be contained within the scroll. Because when the seventh seal is broken, there are then seven trumpets. And those seven trumpets will describe in more detail the wrath of God as he pours out, the, out his wrath on evil. And then, after the seventh trumpet, there are going to be seven bowls, which describe in even greater detail the horrors that come upon those who reject God and who persecute his people still. And so these seven seals are like a table of contents telling us of what to expect as we read further into the Revelation. Jesus breaks four of the seals, one by one, and what we sometimes call the four horsemen of the apocalypse are released. First, Jesus breaks a seal and a white horse and it appears and its rider had a bow and a crown representing a ruler bent on conquest. And I found, I found it interesting in a number of the commentaries that I read on this, they identified these four horsemen as demonic powers. But the Bible doesn't actually tell us that they are demonic powers. Um, and in fact, it is God who at least allows them to do what it is that they're doing, no matter how terrible it might seem. But all the way throughout history, ruler after ruler has arisen, bent on conquest, wanting to conquer the world. Hitler, Napoleon, Alexander, Hannibal, various Roman emperors. And nations have risen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, France, Spain. These have arisen wanting to expand into the world. Uh, we could even look to the rise of ideologies, where some would want to see the world conquered over to a particular political system. Fascism, Nazism, Communism, Republicanism and other forms of democracy. Throughout history, these ideals have been forced upon other cultures to be conquered over from their political systems to this new political system. And much blood has been shed because of it. And so rulers rise and rulers conquer. They have ambitions beyond their borders. And we see this unfolding in the world right throughout history. The second horse was bright red and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Now to me, this seems like it's describing something other than merely war. That might be a strange phrase to say merely war because we sort of think what could be more horrific than war? Well, let me tell you what's more horrific than war. 
anarchy. Anarchy. Where all law and order just goes out the window and everybody can do whatever they like. And whoever, whoever is the most nastiest and most vile and the most violent can rise up and do whatever they want. We're told this is a time when people will slay one another. They just do whatever it is that they like. It seems to me like it's describing a situation where justice has gone right out the window. How awful. And often, anarchy follows conquest. And we've seen this type of thing in recent history. For instance, when Saddam Hussein was beaten in Iraq, his once iron fist control that he held over that land was released. And the country descended into anarchy. Whole people groups were annihilated. And Christians especially were targeted and killed by anybody who wanted to give it a go. And there was no one to intervene. Because anarchy was reigning the streets. With civil uprisings happening in other Middle Eastern and Persian countries right now, ISIS has come in on the back of these. And they perpetrate all sorts of evil. They do whatever it is they like. They kill whoever they like. And there's no one to dish out justice. And once again, it's very often the Christian groups who are most harshly persecuted. The third horse was a black horse. And its rider had a set of scales in his hands. This image represents famine. Says a quart of wheat, that's close to a litre, for a day's wages. Now that's a maintenance ration. What it's describing is a famine where the price of basic foodstuffs is so high that a person would have to work for a whole day to earn just enough to feed himself for a day. And that's leaving nothing over for for clothing or shelter or medicine. And if they want to feed their family, because remember that's only earning enough to feed one person, if they want to feed their family, they'd have to eat the less palatable grain barley. And they've still got nothing left over for clothing or shelter or medicine. And yet the luxuries are unaffected. Wine and oil are still available. And don't we see this sort of thing following the anarchy that follows war? Most of the population can barely get enough to eat, but the rich and powerful continue to obtain their luxuries. And the fourth horse was a pale horse, death. Famine, disease, wild beasts... So often in war-torn countries, the biggest death toll for, for a people weakened by starvation and by the disruption of civil services comes cholera, dysentery, diarrhoea and other, all sorts of other diseases that kill. Uh, the flu pandemic following World War I killed more people than World War I did by about four times. And we've seen this unfold throughout history. A ruler bent on conquest makes war and conquers. Anarchy follows 
and mass murders, followed by famine, followed by death. This is happening in the world today. We see it on our news. We hear it as as various aid organisations appeal for, for funds to feed those who are affected by these things. So these things are happening in the world today. And Jesus said, it's like the end, but it's not the end. But I believe this is also telling us how the end will begin. There will arise a world leader bent on conquest. And he or she will make war on a world scale. Now, we've never seen a world war before. We call it World War I. We call it World War II. But much of the world was never involved in those two conflicts. And this ruler will conquer on a world scale. There will be anarchy where people slaughter one another on a world scale. There will be famine on a world scale. And there will be disease and death on a world scale. And 25% of the world's population will die. That's, that's how we know this is a future event. Because this has never happened before. No conflict in history and no pestilence in the history of the world has ever led to a 25% death toll across the world. This is yet to come, and this will be the beginning of the end. Let's move on. As Jesus breaks the fifth seal, our eyes turn from earth to what is happening in heaven. And John sees the souls of those who have been killed for being faithful to Jesus. He describes them as they have been slain for the word of God, and for the witness they have borne. These are the disciples of Jesus, Christians, who have been so very faithful throughout history and faithful as the world enters its final stages. They are so faithful that they would even die before they ceased to be witnesses for Jesus. And the faithful who had been slain, slain cry out to God, How long? How long is this going to go on? How long until you come and judge and avenge our blood? And they're given a white robe, which symbolises holiness and their faithfulness. And they're told to rest. Rest. Because there are more who are yet going to die for their faith. Our Lord... He knows how many of his children have been executed for their faith. Even today, all over the world, Christians are being starved, imprisoned, beaten, enslaved and executed. And here's the thing. Every Christian who's martyred goes straight to glory. The Lord knows how many have died. He knows how many more are yet to die as they stand faithful as witnesses for him. And so we come to the sixth seal. Jesus has told us that that there will be earthquakes and whatnot. And we hear this on the news, don't we? There's earthquakes here and there. and, 
And, and he says that they are like the end, but they're not the end. But now, as this sixth seal gets broken, we catch a glimpse of what it will be like at the end. We catch a glimpse of, of the cataclysmic, global and cosmic upheaval that is in store for the heavens and the earth when the end does come. There's a great earthquake and all of a sudden our atlases, even Google Earth, is out of date. I, I used to like having a good atlas, you know, an atlas that has all the countries marked on it and you can look and see. But I very quickly realised these atlases go out of date. Within a year, it's out of date. There's countries that have changed names. There's countries that have been overcome. And so uh, isn't it great to be able to just access that on Google Earth and, and so on? And you've got all these up-to-date maps. Well, all of a sudden, that's just going to be out of date too. Islands and mountains are just going to disappear off the face of the earth. The sun turns pitch black. The full moon looks like blood. The stars fall from the sky. And in fact, the sky disappears. And all the kings of the earth and high-ranking military officials, that the rich and the powerful, everyone, rich and poor, slave and free, are so scared they would rather be buried alive than to face the judgment of God. And they say, hide us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? When the terrible day of judgment comes, who can stand? Now that is the most primary and the most basic and important questions that we get asked in this book of Revelation. When the terrible day of judgment comes, who can stand? Now, we've only had like a table of contents so far, just telling us, giving us little hints of what's going to unfold in this revelation as we go through these seven trumpets and through these seven bowls of God's wrath, as, we get, as it gets described to us, the terrible times that's going to happen. And already we're asking the question, when the day of wrath comes, who will be able to stand? And that's why I didn't want to take, take on chapter 6 on its own today. Because I want you to leave with the answer to that question. And chapter 7 tells us who can stand on the day of the Lord's wrath. John has an image of four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And they're ready to bring on the destruction but another angel gives them a message, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we've, we've sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads and 144,000 are sealed. Now, there is a lot of debate and there has been a lot of ink spilled over the 144,000. Who are they? Uh, well, very clearly, it's got to be talking about God's chosen people, Israel. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. But if you're up with the, all of your biblical knowledge, you might have noticed that the tribe of Dan was missing. But there's still 12 tribes there. What's going on there? Well, the tribe of Manasseh, now Manasseh was one of Joseph's sons, is listed as a separate tribe. 
And so the line of Joseph is actually getting two bites of the cherry and the, and, and the line of Dan is out of there. What's that about? Why is the tribe of Dan excluded? Well, we're not told why. But we do know this. The tribe of Dan were the first tribe of Israel to fall wholesale into the sin of idolatry. They were the first to abandon God for idols. So I think we're being told something here about being faithful. Even so, who are these 144,000? You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses used to say, well, that's us. You know, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're one of the 144,000. But I think they've changed their tune a bit now uh, because there's more than 144,000 of them and they have to start working out which ones of them are going to miss out. The number 144,000, along with most numbers in Revelation, is most probably symbolic because most numbers in the Revelation are. Many Bible scholars believe it is symbolic for the whole people of God. The number 1,000 means a lot, right? Um, There's 12 tribes, there's 12 apostles. So 12 times 12 equals 144, meaning all the people of God and lots of them, 144,000. Now that's what some believe, and that may be so. But the fact that it's separated out the 12 tribes of Israel, and it lists them all individually, surely this must be telling us that even in the whole people of God, there is a very special place that God holds for his people of Israel, God's chosen people, who are faithful to Jesus Christ. Many of them are not faithful to Israel. And we've already been heard, you know, God calls them, you know, like a synagogue of Satan. Like anyone that rejects Jesus, well, well, no, you're out. But I think we're being shown here that God holds a very special place for his chosen people. I think we though have to confess, we, we don't know who these 144,000 are. Uh, whether they represent a certain segment of Israel, the, the remnant of Israel, or whether they represent the whole people of God in which Israel take a special part, we don't know. But I think it's very important for us to know what it means to be sealed. What does it mean? Because these are the ones who are sealed. They are getting God's seal before the destruction of creation. What does that mean? Well, there's lots of opinions on this, but I I believe the best explanation is this. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul talks about how Christians are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about how we should be living faithfully, And not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we were sealed. The seal is God's Holy Spirit. God gives his Holy Spirit to his children to help us to stand strong and to remain faithful through all of the persecutions and through all of the terrible times of the end. 
Now, we know that another name given for the Holy Spirit is the Comforter. And so the Holy Spirit gives us power and strength and comfort and peace through all of the terrible tribulation. And we're going to see this in verse 9 that we come to now. John then looks and he sees a great multitude. A group of people who couldn't be numbered. A people from every nation, of every tribe, of every language. And these are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now remember, chapter 6 ended with the question, who can stand before God on the day of these wrath? And what are we seeing here? We're seeing a people who are standing before the throne of God. The faithful from every nation. They're not cowering before God. They are there and they're full of praise and they're giving God glory. You know, some people read the book of Revelation and they're terrified about what's going to come. Some people just want to block up their ears and go, no, I don't even want to hear this. They might even stop coming to church while we're doing this series. Let me tell you, if what we're reading today scares you, that may be an indicator that your heart isn't right with God. Because here they are. These are God's faithful and they're standing before him as this is all unfolding and they're praising their father and they're praising the son for the salvation that he's bringing. Revelation should not scare Christians. It's a blessing. Every time we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, Lord, bring it on. Now, I hope that doesn't stop you from praying the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come is praying, Lord, come, bring your justice, bring your salvation. Deal with everything that is evil and wicked in this world and renew it. Who are this multitude dressed in white robes? One of the elders asked John that very question. He said, I don't know, well, you better tell me. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There's only one way to stand before God on the day of his wrath. And that is to have our sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. All of the great and the mighty and the powerful will conquer. Sorry, will cower. Um, All of those who have been persecuting and killing and murdering God's people will cower. But those who are God's faithful, those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit and endure to the end, these are the ones who stand. I want you to note here also that this is being spoken in the present tense. The Greek literally says, these are the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation is happening. And these people are coming out of it during it. There's a relatively new teaching 
uh, when I say relatively new in, in Christian terms, it's been around a couple hundred years. Um, and it's called the pre-tribulation rapture. Um, it's a belief that, that believes that Christians will be snatched out of the world before the tribulation happens. So I want you to hear and understand, it's becoming a very popular teaching today, mainly coming out of the US, and it's been made very popular by the Left Behind series, if any of you have seen those movies or read those books. But I don't believe it's biblical. The pre-tribulation rapture view believes Christians are going to be snatched out, snatched out of the world before the tribulation occurs. But that to me, leaves me asking, why does so often the Bible tell us how to stay faithful and strong through this great tribulation? And this may be wishful thinking that we will get taken out before the great tribulation, but that doesn't make it true. And right here in the Revelation, we have the great tribulation and the faithful are coming out of it during it. It is a present reality. They didn't come out before it began. How are they coming out? Well, the language that's used seems to indicate that these people are martyrs. How are they coming out of the Great Tribulation? They are remaining and continuing to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. And they're being killed because of it. In the Great Tribulation, they've undergone terrible suffering. And so it seems to me the seal of the Holy Spirit, it's not a seal that says, you're not going to suffer. But it's a seal that says, in suffering, I'm with you. And in suffering, I give you the strength and power to be my witnesses. And I give you strength to remain faithful to me. Here's what it says. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You can see, can't you, that, that these who have suffered terribly through the great tribulation, these who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and remained faithful, oh, what a wonderful reprieve. What a wonderful rescue. What a wonderful salvation to be sheltered by God in his presence. I think we might leave it there for today. I, I did originally want to have the breaking of the seventh seal and talk about how this leads to the seven trumpets, but as, as the wrath of God then starts to get explained more fully. Uh, but I think that can wait until next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess to you that at times we are fearful for you to break the seals on the scroll. And yet, Lord, we pray even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you that 
You have told us that those who read this revelation will be blessed. And Lord, as we study it, we're beginning to understand this blessing. Heavenly Father, when the big trouble begins, and even through the little glimpses of the big trouble that we get even now, please help us to always remain faithful to you. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who seals us and keeps us strong and faithful. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus, that precious blood that washes us and makes us white as snow, that on the day of your wrath we can stand with confidence before your throne and praise you for your great and mighty salvation. Come, Lord Jesus. Come with your justice and your righteous wrath Rescue your faithful and set things right, we pray. Lord, we also pray for Christians today who are being persecuted. Help them to be the very best witnesses for you and receive them into your glory. And shelter our brothers and sisters with your presence under the altar. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.